Hello, my name is Dermajan, the host of Master of Your Crafts podcast. Learning from leaders who are continuously inspired, passionate, and driven to align with their soul purpose, sharing their gifts to bring healing to others. The music is composed by Rebecca Everett. Today is episode number 12, where we will be talking to Alana Vio and learn how she developed the mastery of experience through music theatre as her craft. Alana is a daring director, creator and producer based in Toronto. She is the founder and executive artistic director of indie opera company Loose Tea Music Theatre where she creates genre-defying productions that center on critical social change and cross-cultural relationships. Not afraid to break all the rules, she collaborates with DJs, projection artists, choreographers, and filmmakers. The 1920 season saw Alana Dora nominated Outstanding New Opera and won a Canada Council for the Arts Professional Development Grant to work with Ashley Concoran at the Arts Club Theatre in Vancouver. Along with assisting Ashley on stage, Alana worked to develop a framework of cognitive disabilities in arts leadership and has continued to work with leading disabled artists in other performing arts fields. Alana was resident director at Toronto City Opera for the 18 and 19 season and artistic director at Ottawa indie company SOPAC for two seasons. She has a background in arts administration, producing, production, having previously been assistant production manager at the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and the opera and orchestra manager at the Royal Conservatory of Music. Alana is a member of Indie Opera Toronto, Loose Tea Music Theatre, and a member of TAPA, Opera Canada and Opera America. So hello and welcome to Elena. Hello, Elena. How are you today? Hi, I'm, I'm great. It's a wonderful day. We had an incredible rainstorm yesterday, so I feel like the world is charged up with new energy. Absolutely, yes. The natural world has a beautiful way of teaching us and giving us everything that we need for sure exactly i'm excited to have you on the podcast because i know you are in a field and in an industry that i gravitate towards and i think is very inspiring and very motivating for you to be creating musical theater as your craft how has that impacted you and what does that look like for Elena? From my exposure in terms of opera, it has its own culture and dynamic, right? Yes, definitely. How has that translated to you and has it defined you? I think I come at opera from an interesting perspective because although I love opera, I love, you know, the voice, I love culmination of all these different arts coming together to create this bigger than one individual art together on this on large stages and small stages. However, through my education, I always found that although this was, 
you know, my art and my industry, I didn't feel like it represented me, the things that I wanted to see. And I thought there was a lot more that could be expressed on the operatic stages that currently weren't being expressed. So I have mm -hmm. been searching for, and even when I couldn't express it, when I first started searching, uh, my need to create music, theater, and opera productions that reflected what I felt was the more real world and our current world, 2020, you know, the diversity of Toronto or our experiences as women um, that aren't being shown on the stage. So that has really driven me in my creation is this need to explore more than what I was seeing on stage. Beautiful. And what a drive and what a passion to be able to create the opportunity for change. Because opera traditionally, I want to say, is a very nostalgic platform for people to delve into a space, be nostalgic and have an experience of what it would have been like in another era of time and fully embedded, right? So stepping into another time zone, if you will. But very courageous for you to have it real world and just using it as a true medium to be reflective of today. You know, it's very interesting because when those operas were first created, they were about the world around them. And they were about the current writings that were, that were coming out. Like La Traviata was based on a book that had just come out and that was a current story that was being told in many different mediums. And now it's turned into this kind of pedestal museum piece that is not the original intent of those operas it, they were meant to be saying something about the current day and about what at least from their perspective the composers were yeah. seeing and what they wanted to express so i find it funny that we've gotten stuck in this presentation of as you say traditional nostalgia when that was actually not the original intention of those composers and that to create new opera and create worlds that currently exist and that reflect our modern day experiences is what opera was originally intended to be, not the museum piece that it has become to be known about and the exclusionary practices that surround opera as well. Right. Now, I was thinking back to where did this come from? As a child going through school, I was always very concerned with fairness. And whenever I saw things that were unfair, sometimes to my detriment, very stubbornly stood up for what I thought was wrong, um, to the point where it definitely got me in trouble sometimes mm -hmm. uh, in school. And the great part is that my, my parents were encouraging of me finding those things that were not right and, and taking a stand on them. And it wasn't like I was trying to cause issues. When things really were at issue and when I was hearing the people around me expressing concerns, I felt like I couldn't not say something. So it's kind of translated into my work today yeah. and how I see opera and that it can be a vehicle for social change. You know, and not just the, the stories that we tell on stage, but the people that we hire and the uh, leadership that we support and the narratives that we support and how we work with cross-cultural relationships. The whole thing needs to change. So as I started working on what am I interested in opera? Like, why am I interested in this? It wasn't the old white male Eurocentric traditional experience that I was interested in. It was, I feel that opera can do so much more. And I'm determined to showcase 
how opera can be a vehicle for social change. That's amazing. It's a very courageous move and it's a very big move to be able to create that change. Use your power, your force, your energy and your creativity and that drive to really make it to current day and make it relevant and make it so you would sit in the audience and go, that satisfied me. That was a really interesting piece. What do you feel happened along the way? Why did that particular industry get stuck? Various other forms of artistry have kind of evolved as we go, but why is it that particular one do you feel that that got stuck? I mean, I think all performing arts do have these hierarchical racist structures embedded in them because of the Western tradition that we came from. I think that dance particularly has done a better job of that evolution, theater, maybe behind it. Opera is really the like super behind industry. I don't know when it happened that we went from supporting new works and, you know, wanting the newest Puccini to come out and clamoring to see the new Beethoven to being stuck in, you know, this, this repetition of that only being the art form. Not sure when that happened. When we look at racist structures, they're supporting, you know, usually white male perspectives. And mm-hmm. that has been protected over the years uh, because of the people who are in power. If they're not willing to look inside themselves and see, is there, are there other ways that this can be expressed? Because that's the way it's always been done, yeah. as the excuse. At some point, especially in the U.S., when all the opera companies were opening up 150 years ago, Opera America was developed 50 years ago. They just had their 50-year anniversary. They actually were bringing all the new works from Europe over, and they were actually having their premieres here, and they were exciting. So sometime in that, like, 70 years, that became the only thing that was acceptable on stage. It became that because there was this protection of this particular viewpoint that was considered more important than anything else. There are now some really great companies who are doing this work like Beth Morrison projects. There is way more talk and way more programming of new works than there definitely has ever been. And I think we're finding our, a new voice, our new voice and that it doesn't have to be European to be good. It can be yeah a Canadian story to be great. It can be an American story to be great. They can be Canadian composers. They can be female composers. They can be BIPOC composers and librettists to be great. And it takes the audience and the people working in in opera to say, Mm -hmm. that perspective is not the only perspective. We have our own perspective and our own traditions and our own stories and our own experiences that are unique. And those are worthy to be on stage. And I think we're, we're seeing that shift now. We're just at the very beginning of the shift, saying that in order to have those stories told, we need to have people in leadership positions that can sign off on those projects in a way that is not tokenizing, in a way that's not appropriating, to make it real, legitimate art on stage. I am hopeful for the future that we are shedding 
it feels very slowly, but hopefully in my lifetime, we'll see a shedding of this protection of the white racist idioms that we see on stage and understanding that European is not better. Mm-hmm. That we have our own things that are just as great and can be greater. I will be, you said the word satisfied, and I, I realized that is what I've been searching for. I want to be satisfied with what I see on stage. When I see traditional, I'm not satisfied by that art. I am satisfied by what I'm seeing from a lot of the indie companies in Canada, what I'm seeing by uh, women composers and librettists and uh, BIPOC artists to create a, a really more rich view of the world and to have that reflected on our stages through our stories. So powerful. I love that, Helena. I really do. I think there is so much movement. And as you're talking, it's making me think about the endless possibilities of how stories and such intricate little experiences can be shared on that platform. Be it a slice of somebody's day to an entire lifetime of somebody, how that can be displayed on that stage with all those people. I actually do love opera. I think it's such a beautiful art. It's incredibly powerful. It's very powerful and moving, even though I don't understand the language of it. But in the same token, to have it modernized and brought up to date and coming through a lens of a leadership woman with a different objective and coming from an artistry because as women, we are naturally born to create. It has been proven over and over again, that women do allow for more conversation, for more compassionate conversation as well, that is a a safer space than what has traditionally been thought of as, you know, leadership. I think we naturally look for ways to connect people. I think we, we want, you know, our experiences to be positive and we want them to be something where everyone can be involved. And the thing about opera is that you don't create opera on your own. It is a right. team, it's a teamwork, you know, project that everyone has to be very strong and be able to support the vision by being given a voice. And that includes the, the artists who are singing. There's an idea that the artists don't have, in, in opera at least, that the artists don't have, for some reason, the ability to express opinions when they're the ones who are actually portraying these characters on stage. And that is actually something that, you know, dance and theater does understand. But opera, for some reason, we're stuck in that it's only the director, and that's a hierarchical structure and a colonial structure. It's the person at the top. They're the one, you know, calling the shots, and everyone else just has to shut up and and give them what they want. Yeah. And and I think that women... um, are naturally more team oriented and, and, and supportive possibly because of our historical roles. And when it, it translates to leadership, you know, I can be the director, I can be the creative producer and be the one pushing and shaping what's going to be going on the stage. If we can decolonize that, that hierarchical structure, 
I love being able to give an idea to my designers and then for them to take it off and make it this incredible thing. And that's the role of the designers. I love being able to throw something to my singers and say, you're the one doing more of the research on that. You're the one who's like stepping in this role and, and, you know, singing these lines and how does it feel to you? And do you think that the character should be saying or the background of it or their relationship with other characters? And I want to be able to give them the power to make their own artistic decisions, give them their own voice. And it has also been proven that women will hire more diversely in terms of gender, disability, race. uh, I mean, the whole gamut. So we need to be hiring female leaders to make sure that that change is happening. Do I think that some men can do it? Yes. We need to be supporting strong female leadership at this point to make sure that those changes are actually happening. Absolutely. Very inspiring, Elena. Thank you. Very inspiring in that you have not only been able to identify it, but really break it down so it's simple and that it doesn't feel like you're stepping on other people's toes in an aggressive manner. The divine feminine age is becoming more and more prevalent, especially in the last five years, I want to say. Agreed. And I've seen many women who are exuding that power, who are exuding that strength in the role of a feminine way, but doing it in an aggressive way. And what I'm feeling and what I'm sensing and what I'm hearing from you is your format and your way is a more communal, is a more inspirational, is a more creative and compassionate way. And I think that is the tip-off, possibly, to be able to truly recognize when a woman is in power, is it coming from the right place? Is it coming from the heart-centered, creative aspect of her or is it an element that is being taught to her from a masculine or a man who has exuded his power and strength in his own way exactly so i i really want to champion for you everything that you're doing because i think it's going to be magical how it all comes through and unfolds i have another question for you of course. What do you feel are some of the attributes as a female artist, creator, coming from a place of compassion and community? What is it you feel are some of your attributes that makes Elena, Elena, the magical woman that you are? <laughs> I mean, I have to say that I have had to shed the ways of leadership that I had seen, as you just described, you know, that we've been taught that this is this is the way that you need to be a leader and it's a very male aggressive type of leadership style and what we're seeing is that you know for an example the new zealand prime minister you know there's this great quote that i don't have in front of me but essentially it boils down to you can be firm and you can have strong leadership but you can also be compassionate and that that is actually what leadership is and i have had to shed that image and that idea of leadership. And that has really come through my experience. Uh, So I I received a brain injury three years ago. I have really had to learn how to be compassionate with myself 
and with others, and then how that can actually go into the rehearsal space and into the creation process. And it's opened my heart and my eyes to a different way of working that is actually far more quote unquote productive. It is a lot more enjoyable. And as artists, we can actually get to a different place and to you know, a more complex place and to a more, a more interesting place with our art when we're allowed to have compassion define our rehearsal process and um, our relationships to each other. So sometimes I think that my brain injury, and especially at the beginning, it was, you know, it was very, very difficult and very troubling. And, you know, I thought it was the most awful thing ever, but now learning uh, a different style of working and that we can be more inclusive to opinions, to ideas, to creative flow, and not just in an artistic way, but also I'm the executive artistic director, which means that I lead the budgeting, I lead uh, you know, the executive decisions of the company, that those decisions can also be made compassionately and they can also be creative and they can involve you know, a whole gamut of other things than one would traditionally think that role would be. So I, I think for myself, learning compassion and learning how to translate that into the workplace and into our relationships with each other has been one of my biggest learning points. And then taking this need for fairness, for equality, and building it into, you know, how can I now take those very firmly entrenched ideas that are inside my body and I think are a very large makeup of who I am? You know, how can I use, you know, my creative voice and my business voice to create that social change that we need to be seeing in a compassionate manner and in a way that will instill real solid change for the future. That's so powerful, Elena. It's such a courageous space for you to be in because not only recognizing you're in a, an industry that's very masculine driven, but also being vulnerable to the space of sharing what's happened to you personally and how that aspect of you, that part of Elena is now open wide for the rest of the world to see. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'm definitely not saying it happened overnight. (laughs) I know we all go through change. It's a process and it's a, it's a journey and a half really. But it's a courageous one for you to do that because I'm sure there's many people, many women and men who are out there who are looking for that aspect of change, but they're not ready to show that part of them. I definitely, it's a journey and you make mistakes and you realize what isn't working. It does take courage. It really takes courage of character to look at yourself and say, that really sucked. (laughs) I don't like that. And I don't want it to continue to be that way. So Mm -hmm. if I want to change that, what work do I need to do to make sure that I can react, I can be a certain way so that those situations don't happen again? I certainly destroyed some relationship because of thinking that I needed to lead in a certain way. Now that I have accepted that I have a different way of working because of my disability and I require a different way of working, but actually everyone requires a different way of working 
and being open about it. You have to be open about it. Otherwise, there's an expectation. There is a default expectation about what our leaders should be doing. And that also is damaging. So in order for me to make that change, I have to be open about my situation, my disability, that other people can arrive as they are and who they are, and that that actually contributes to the work. And not just in an artistic way, you know, in businesses, this is the same as well. If you can arrive as yourself and who you are and with what you are dealing with, you'll actually be a far happier human being, oddly enough, (laughs) than pretending to be somebody that you're not. Absolutely. And it definitely takes incredible courage to look at yourself and say there needs to be a change. And there is an understanding that you will always be evolving and Mm -hmm. that you come to a place, like I'm at a place today, that maybe won't serve me in three years. And I hope to continue evolving Uh, But it is definitely a hard look at yourself constantly to make sure that you you are following that trajectory. And that takes a lot of work. And it's a skill. You have to learn that skill. To be introspective and to be reflective in a way where you can still breathe and you can still be content to a certain degree in who you are and how you're presenting yourself to the world. I feel like I just need to make a comment here. Because we've talked a fair bit about men and how women are coming into a leadership role and empowering space. I don't want to mitigate men who might be listening to the podcast (laughs) in that they are not able to be compassionate. They're not able to be creative or any of that piece. What I'm saying is, as human beings, we all carry two parts of energy, a masculine and a feminine. And that can be turned up or turned down if you're in alignment to it. So for men, it's not to say you are incompetent of being in that space. It's to create an awareness for you to tap into that compassionate feminine side of yourself into a more heart-centered space. So I just kind of want to be like a put a disclaimer piece on that. And that is, I mean, toxic masculinity is really what we're looking at here. It's that, that expectation of, how one should act if they're a certain gender and what those roles are. You know, it takes work to look at yourself and look at society around you and say, this is not how I want to be. I actually do want to be able to say that that flower is pretty and that, you know, I cry at movies. And the thing is that those are not necessarily feminine qualities, but they are just qualities of humanity. They are a part of every person. Um, And just our culture of toxic masculinity has ensured that men are not able to access that but I can Mm -hmm. tell you that when you start doing the work as much as it hurts and as much as it is difficult to to start that work over time it gets easier and you start to align yourself with who your your true being is and it is a much happier much more enjoyable place to be than to be constantly fighting against who you are absolutely I totally agree I kind of want to phrase it to the point of you don't want to be like a 15th century opera that gets played out on the stage. You've got to change with the time, right? So (laughs) we want to continue to change just like the industry of opera is now evolving slowly, painfully, but it's evolving slowly. So I think as human beings, yes, nobody wants to be a dinosaur. 
No, no. Nobody wants to be a dinosaur to take the leap and, and make the change. And I'm so glad you have, like I said, been courageous enough to, I want to say, put your heart out there in the space of creativity and compassion and exposing your own challenges of what that's presented. I can't commend you enough for doing that. I really can't. Because I recognize it is a very courageous journey and it's a very challenging one, especially in the arts industry. So now you have all this magic at your fingertips and you have all this creativity oozing out of you because you created this space that allows you to be in alignment in who you are. What is your intentions with the craft that you have? How would that feed Alana's soul with the intentions of your craft? So with my, you know, drive for fairness, equality, and social change, what it really comes down to is having people feel something and feel something within themselves that they've experienced something that that has stirred them, whether that's comedy or drama. Sometimes it's easier in drama than it is in comedy. When I really started creating, it was because I wanted people to be able to feel an experience that they might not otherwise feel in their day-to-day activities. And that that is really what life's about. You go to work, you come home, you make dinner, you know, you hang out, you might work out, but what art is that part of life that makes life interesting and worth living. There are different ways to experience art, but in terms of my craft of creating music theater or opera, it is to have people experience something outside of their normal day and maybe think about other people's experiences to reflect on their own life. You know, in terms of comedy, you can say serious things with comedy as well and also sometimes it's great just to get a good solid laugh because that is also (laughs) part of life you know and that and that's really what I guess at the core of it it is to have people experience something that they might otherwise have access to and that you can be transported into a whole other world than your living room kitchen office (laughs) (laughs) dog park yeah But also have it be something that you can connect to, that connects Mm -hmm. you with other people in the world, whether it's your neighbors or experiencing a different culture or a different time through theatre. We started at the beginning of the conversation of opera can capture either a slice of somebody's day or a lifetime of someone. And I feel that's what you're trying to instill is allow this craft to come in and be a slice of your life. And there's also this idea that opera has to be grand. Yes, opera can be grand. And it is a a larger expression of life, but it can also be very small and very intimate Mm -hmm. and be just as effective. Just one lighting source, 
just a small interaction, that is just as effective. That's huge projection, large, grand storytelling. And actually, I think sometimes it's possibly more difficult to make sure that you are making that connection with all the grandiosity of quote-unquote grand opera to make sure that the details are working together in order to tell that story and in order to elicit those emotions that you're trying to get across to the audience. You've got your hands full then. (laughs) Always. There's always work to be done. Even during the pandemic, I was not twiddling my fingers, that's for sure. (laughs) That's right. right. You have lots of work to do, and I'm almost certain that whatever you create is going to be very powerful in many ways of how other people can look at it. Thank you. You're welcome. So you've carved out this niche. You've put a specific intention as to what this is going to look like. You know what your crafts are. What's next? Where does Alana go from here? Oh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Where do I go from here? There's a friend that I had a few years back. He always made a joke about my trajectory or, you know, the way that life ended up for me. Elena, you're in a boat and you have no paddle but you just go places and they're the right places for you. It's more that I could be up the river without a paddle, but it will still be an interesting place that I land. I do have long-term goals for sure, but I cannot say where I'll be in five years from now because the world changes, my perspectives change. You know, I adapt to new information and I think it, it it's being very open and receptive to... I put intentions out there and I work very hard, but they may, you know, go a different way than I expect them to. And that is actually part of the excitement of life (laughs) that, you know, I would not have expected to be possibly where I am now. You know, I know that these are the important things that I want to be working towards and that I will work towards those things. I will set those intentions out. I will go where I need to go. You know, I say those things and sometimes I really am struggling with, I want to get hired here and why aren't I getting hired there? Or, and I, I have to let those go because I have to understand that I'm in, I'm in the place that I need to be. Setting out with the intentions that are important to me. In the immediate future, I'm incredibly excited. I mean, my company is me. It is an expression of my intentions and my dreams and my aspirations. We are, I say we because I just brought on actually the first Indigenous artistic director of an opera company in Canada, possibly of the U.S. as well. I just don't have all my data yet. Together, we started having conversations uh, around this time last year about we want to see change on our stages, so how do we accomplish that? And it's a whole pipeline of, of things that need to be changed. I'm so excited to be working with uh, Joanna's her name because we're able to craft this you know, idea of a future that we want to see. And she gives me energy to work harder towards these ideas. Our first initiative, um, we are launching a BIPOC composer and librettist development program that Mm. will run every two years. They're given mentorship support. 
we thoroughly workshop their pieces and they get commissioned fees for a full-length chamber opera. And so every two years we'll have a new cohort of two composer librettist teams so that we can actually facilitate the learning that needs to happen in order to see those works on our stages and have them be created by the people who should be creating them, have them be designed by the people who should be designing them, directed by the people who should be directing them, and sung by the people who should be singing them. I am so excited, you know, it's, it's one of the probably biggest programs <laughs> Lucy has ever stepped into, you know, huge budget, and I actually feel very energized and very positive about it, and not really scared about it at all, and that is a lovely place to be, and I can also just feel energy of what change it will make for the sector, but also where it could lead us, you know, through this process of new creation and supporting BIPOC artists all the way through the creation process. And then once it gets to the stage, make sure that it is also reflected in our design team and our leadership team, et cetera. And, And I'm just really excited that I feel like there's a huge future for that. I have no idea where it's going, but I know it's going to be exciting. That is so powerful. Yeah. And I'm so excited for you because as you're talking about it, I'm getting all excited of the (laughs) endless possibilities that are really going to be available to you. And like you said, to be able to move in great strides and have a very profound impact on this sector. And empower those who were may not have even considered this as a career opportunity. Exactly. I mean, it's, I'm not interested in it being a white, male, Eurocentric, heterosexual, (laughs) you know, experience anymore. It needs to be more than that for me. We're in a world of change of constant change around us. It's been shown at us on so many levels, but that really doesn't happen until we change what's on the inside. Yep. And I feel with you doing that constantly for yourself, it's only a natural process that you'll be given the wings to be able to change it in your sector and beyond. So. I am grateful for this conversation, Elena. I am so proud of you. And I'm excited to to really see what's going to come next. I really am. Thank you. Me too. (laughs) Thank you again. Thank you so much. I'm Naranjan, and you've been listening to Master of Your Crafts podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review and join me next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.